we gather around the table today, I want to take a break from Matthew and talk about the king's table from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, how sharp and powerful it is. Lord, I pray that the Holy Spirit would use it today to cut away the things that are unnecessary in your life, the things that distract, Lord, the sin. That as your children, we might come to the table with clean hands. Lord, fill me with your spirit as I teach, and I pray that each one of us as believers would be spirit-filled listeners. And Methetes, learners of you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Acts chapter 2, after the Holy Spirit came and Pentecost began and the people went out from the upper room, preaching the gospel in other language so that those Jews from all over the world could hear the gospel in their language and they understood something supernatural is going on because the people speaking did not speak those languages nat naturally that they were hearing. And then Peter got up and he preached. In verse 23, he said, men of Israel, verse 22, men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. And this is a key verse. Listen to what this verse says. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again and putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Then a little further down, it says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made you both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified, now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said, Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, each one of you, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41, so then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day were added about 3,000 souls. They were continually devoting, devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship the breaking of bread, and to prayer. And everyone kept feeling a sense of awe. How long has it been since you experienced a sense of awe when it came to the things of God? In his book, Letters to the Churches, Francis Chan talks about keeping the main things the main things. And he said, can you imagine going back when Solomon dedicated the temple in Jerusalem? And he prayed, and they had all the sacrifices there, and then they, the glory of God filled the temple, and fire came down from heaven and consumed the sacrifice. What would that feel like? Just to think about what that was like, the worship that would cause in your heart, the awe that you would experience. But listen, we aren't just watching what God does. The Bible says, he dwells in us as the church. Every time we come to the table, we ought to be in awe of the fact that the one that spoke the worlds into existence, 
Hebrews chapter 11 says, by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. The son of God, when time began, said, let there be light. And there was an explosion and light was created. That one who framed the world took upon him flesh. He was God, it says in Philippians 2. But he did not think his Godness something to be grasped after, but he humbled himself and became obedient even unto the death of the cross. Because he was obedient, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name above every name so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That's going to happen one day. For many, it'll be too late. That's the God that we serve. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul is talking about the church, and he says, we are the church. We are God's building. Whenever we come to the table, there ought to be a sense of awe that God loved you, that God set his affection upon you, the one that called the worlds into existence cares to hear from you you know the church in Corinth had lost its awe of God even the early church with all they'd experienced the miracles all they'd seen about but just become routine some of them were even saying well there's no resurrection so Paul goes through and he's dealing with the trouble they had in Corinth and he comes to chapter 10 and he says in, in uh, chapter 10 of, of 1 Corinthians, he's using the Old Testament and what the Jews experienced in deliverance because that's what communion table is. It's a new covenant that came out of the old covenant of Passover. So as they gather around the table before Jesus goes down to Gethsemane and then the next day gives his life on the cross, they're celebrating the Passover service. And so he's going to get there from chapter 10 to chapter 11 because these people are even drinking the cup of demons and then going to church the next day to have communion like it's no big deal. Besides that, there's immorality in the church and there's people suing one another in the church. And he said, when you come together, it's not to celebrate the Lord's table because they allowed themselves to become once again like the world. And they'd taken the love feast that they were celebrating. And some people were coming that had, and they, they would gather all the stuff they had, and they'd leave the have-nots out. So some were getting drunk at this feast, and some had nothing to eat. He said, I don't know what you call it, but that's not the Lord's table. And in chapter 10, he says, now, these things, verse 6, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave evil things as they crave in the Old Testament. You see, when the Lord delivered his children, he opened the Red Sea up, they walked across the Red Sea, he closed the water up on top of Pharaoh's army, they all died, and within a short time, they forgot everything the Lord had done. Peter writes, Second Peter, he says, that's a problem for us too. that sometimes we get short-sighted and we forget what God has saved us from. They got out there and God went to give them the law. Now listen, 
God came down to the whole nation. He spoke to them personally. And what did they say? Moses, tell God not to talk to us anymore because he scares us to death. You go talk to him. Then God came down and had a meal with the elders of Israel. And it says they saw his feet and the, 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 the pavement of the throne room was like sapphire. And it says, and he didn't kill them. They were in God's presence and he didn't kill them. Then Moses went up on the mountain and God in his glory came down like a furnace on top of that Mount Sinai. And in about a month, the people said, well, we don't know what happened to that guy. He must have got burned up up there, so we've got to have a God. In the meantime, God is giving the law to Moses, and then he stops. He says, take the tablets down. The people have already gone astray. They've experienced all the supernatural, and they're already left off worshiping God. They had a golden calf. They're involved in immorality, so Moses goes back down the mountain. He throws down the tablets of stone and breaks them. And a lot of people died because they were immediately given over once again to idolatry. Idolatry has a way of sneaking into our life. And it starts out maybe as just, well, I just need this. I think in our life as believers in America, one of the big idols is sports and athletics. Where it just takes over our life and pretty soon, well, you know, I can't be there here serve the Lord because I've got sports. And my child has sports. We have to do sports Thing wrong intrinsic with sports? No, not necessarily. But when it takes God's place, it becomes an idol. So don't think of idolatry as just bowing down to an image. It's whatever takes the priority in your life. That's an idol. It was a problem for the Old Testament people. It's a problem for us. He goes on to say, nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. They kind of got close to their old relatives, the Midianites, and they just started sleeping around. They were God's people. They were supposed to be separate. So God begins a plague. And right in the middle of all this suffering going on because God's bringing his judgment down, here comes the daughter of a chief of the nation of Midian and a Young man from the tribe of Israel, Hiddah was a big shot, and right in front of everybody, they go into their tent. They're going to make out. Phineas sees it. He takes a spear and runs them both through together and stops the plague. God is serious about his people being holy. You just don't walk in and come to the table, and that's what Paul had given the instructions in chapter 11. Some are weak and sickly and some are dying because they're not taking this time seriously. They think, well, it's just something we do. We just walk in. Well, we were doing that last night, but today we're just we're going to have communion. Oh, it's communion. Okay, well, we'll just do communion. Get my cracker and my grape juice and just go home. It's cool. It's what we do. Paul goes on to say, nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Why did he destroy them with serpents? Because they were grumbling about their conditions and the food they had to eat. Just their surroundings. Moses, you brought us out here. We got nothing good to eat, and we're tired of eating this stuff. Can you imagine? Every morning, miraculously, except for on the Sabbath, manna appeared like frost, and they could make breads out of it and taste like wafers and honey. When they needed meat, he sent them quail. 
He provided for them. They didn't have to do a thing but go out and bring it into their house. God comes to the end of the book of Malachi, the end of the Old Testament. And what do they say about the table of the Lord? Oh, it's such a weariness. Such a weariness to have to go do our sacrifices to God who has provided everything for them. That's what they were saying about the bread. Oh, it's such a weariness. We're so tired of this provision that God is. We want something different, Moses. And so God said, okay, how about snakes? And he sends these serpents in and people start dropping like flies. And Moses, like he does, goes before the Lord and says, Lord, stop. He says, will you have Aaron take some brass, some bronze, and make a serpent and put it up on a pole? Today you have that as a symbol of the hypocritic oath with medicine. And he said, everybody that goes out and looks at that serpent on the pole will be healed. He said, well, what, what does being healed from the poison of a snake have to do with looking at the pole? It's God's command. It's what he said. Our God is supernatural. He made the snakes. He made your body. He knows how they operate. Those that didn't see it, that, that couldn't see how that would work, stayed in their tent, died. Everybody that got dragged out to look at the serpent lived. God stayed because they were grumbling. The last illustration he uses, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the, the destroyer. What were they complaining about? Well, there was some, in the mixed multitude that came out of Egypt, there were some fellas, Dothan, Abraham, and Korah, who confronted Moses and said, you know who died and made you the prince of Israel? We think we can lead just as good as you. And you know, Moses is such an amazing example of a leader because it was God who put him there. Moses didn't ask for it. God chose Moses. In response, Moses just went to the ground and he said, you know, tomorrow we'll let God choose who, he should, who should lead this place. We'll let God choose. Well, the next day, those guys wouldn't come up. But there's about 250 sons of Korah. He said, okay, take your, you think you just enter in and be the leaders? Take your incense and offer it to the Lord. And they all died. Fire came out and destroyed them. And Moses said, well, they won't come to us. We'll go down to them. So they went down to the tents of those rebellious men. He said, I want to tell you right now, you need to get away from these tents, everybody else. And if these men, nothing happens to them and they die the death of old men, then you know that God was not behind me he's not leading me but if the ground opens up and swallows them you'll know who the God of Israel is you'll know who's supposed to be leading this people and the ground opened up and swallowed them now think about this now the next day they came to Moses and said you know you killed those people and they wanted to kill Moses Grumbling, complaining about your circumstances or complaining about the leadership. Does that ever happen? Hmm. Paul is giving examples so that we learn how we worship and how we come to the table with right attitudes. And he gives the instruction, let each man examine himself in the light of Scripture. James writes, and he says, when you come to the Word of God, it's like a mirror. You look in the mirror of God's word and you see you're convicted about sin. But if you go away and you forget about what God told you, you're like the guy that looks in the mirror and thinks that cleans his face. And you go away and forget you've got to clean your face. That's what God's word does for us. These people 
had forgotten that God had washed them from their sin in the Old Testament, God get redeemed them, and they could just go and live like all the pagans around them. God said, no, you're a separate people. Part of communion, part of the table is coming together and spending some time, hopefully even before you came, because you knew it was the first of the month, and we're going to have communion, and say, God, you examine me. Or is there something that, some idol I've left there, some distraction? Cleanse my hands, that I might come with clean hands to lift and worship as we gather around the table. Remembering that all that we are, all that we have is because of Jesus. And why did he have to die? Because of our sin. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says, He became sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. From 12 o'clock till 3 o'clock on the cross, the Father poured the wrath of God out on the Son. At the end of that, Jesus cried out, It is finished. All the work of salvation was completed at the cross, and that's what we remember. When we come to the table, Paul says here, as long as you're practicing, as long as you're participating, you're showing the Lord's death. Showing what about the Lord's death? That it's your life. If you live like it's not your life, then this doesn't make any difference. And because of that, in Corinth, some people were dead, and some people were sick, and some were weak. Because they were eating the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Not only that, but they were looking at it just about themselves. Not as about the church. So they could complain about leadership. They could complain about one another. And just worry about themselves. That's all they were worried about. And Paul's saying, no, no, this is a gathering of the family of God. And what happens is we need to realize that the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Every child of God is precious to him, and they ought to be precious to us. Paul said, so take your time and make sure that you're right with God when you come to this time. In Corinth, they'd lost their awe of God. God was still working. God is always at work around us. But we miss the sense of awe when we get distracted. We just start living life for ourselves rather than living our lives for Jesus Christ and his church. So important. A lot of Christians today in America, well, it doesn't matter if you go or not, if I'm a member or not, if I give or not, because, you know, me and God, we have our thing. Well, that's not what Jesus thinks about his bride. He thinks his bride is very important. And yes, we still see the blemishes, but the amazing thing is, when the Father looks us at us, he sees us dressed in the righteousness of his Son. What a precious thing. You know, during the Passover, we don't know where this tradition came from, but there were four cups. And the cup was red wine to remind them of the blood of the Lamb, of which John the Baptist had pointed Jesus out and said, there's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And the first cup was the cup of sanctification to set apart to set apart his people. He was going to call them out of Egypt to set them apart. And so they were set apart. And the second cup was the cup of God's wrath. 
And God poured his wrath out upon Pharaoh in Egypt to get their attention. The third cup was called the cup of blessing or the cup of redemption. And that's the cup that Jesus took. And he said, this cup, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it to remember me. Father, we thank you for your love for us. For the reminder from scripture. That it's easy for us to stray. That what you say about your things are very serious. And Lord, we should take them seriously. So Lord, I pray you convict each heart that we come with clean hands, that you grant us repentance, that you bring things that distract to our mind, things that have become idolatrous, things that pollute our lives, that we might be the reflection as your people that you want us to be, a reflection of your grace, of your holiness, of your love in this dark world. And Lord, we're so thankful that you loved us that you set your affection upon us, that you took the punishment of our sin. And Lord, I pray that this might be a precious time to us. And Lord, if there are those that don't know you as their own personal Savior, Lord, that today you might touch them and draw them to yourself. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.